all know the Christmas story. At least we think we do. We could all tell some version of it. An angel is visiting Mary. Maybe we don't know the whole story. Um, I don't know. They're singing hallelujah. Hallelujah! But what if we looked deeper at what really happened? The bad guy king. They thought he should be the king. They are giving baby Jesus the presents that they brought. Maybe there's more to the Christmas story. I did a good job. Maybe, just maybe, there's more to the Christmas story. How many of you grew up with a viewfinder? Raise your hand. Viewfinder, right? Those are the coolest things. They're like, click, click, I would, I would try to go see how fast I could go through the whole cycle. It was really cool. I had the, uh, I, was, I was upgraded. I had not only the individual one, but I had the projector as well. It came in a little round tub. Remember that? Some of you. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll keep moving. Well, we are in the Christmas story, and... Um, uh, my name, again, is Efren Peña. I am the campus pastor here at South Hills, and you are welcome. Uh, we want to welcome you uh, to our campus here in Santa Clarita. We are one of 11 incredible campuses throughout Southern California and uh, the world. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we opened up our campus in Kenya, and uh, I love being a part of South Hills. And so we want to say welcome and Merry Christmas. Now, we are in the midst of a great series called Christmas at South Hills. Now, most of us uh, know the story, uh, the Christmas story, or at least some kind of version of the Christmas story. But in this series, as we talk about this incredible story, uh, we're focusing on the people within the story. We're focusing on the people uh, that uh, God uh, chose to talk about. You know, in the story we hear about Mary and, and Joseph and the baby Jesus. We hear about the, the shepherds and the, uh, the three kings or the three wise men. We got a camel or a cow or a goat or a sheep or whatever in there, right? We've, you have, anybody have a nativity scene? You, 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 when I was a kid, I used to mess with my mom's nativity scene. Like, I used to put things where they didn't belong. Like, she would set it up real nice and neat, and, and I would just go around for the fun of it, just mess it up. And, some of you, a rough crowd this morning. But, um, so we're asking questions. We're focusing on the people in the story, and we are asking questions like, why, why did God choose these people in particular? Why did he choose Mary? Why did he choose this Joseph? Why, why not any other guy? Why did he choose the shepherds and, and the three kings and whatnot? And so, and not only are we asking why did he choose them, but why did he choose them at this particular moment in time in history? Right? There's a lot of things going on. Some of us just read the story and we just take it for surface value. But this Christmas, we are trying to dissect a little bit, trying to get a little more uh, history behind it and try to understand why Jesus or why God chose uh, these people at this time to tell an incredible and a significant story. And if we push past what God did and take a deeper look at how, uh, who he did it through, what might we uncover? What might we reveal? How might Christmas come alive for us when we breathe new life into what it was really like for these people? Now, 
Last week, we learned uh, about Joseph, Mary's husband, right? That despite the things that were going on in his life, despite the current circumstances or situations that, that Joseph found himself in, right, he stepped to the side and allowed God to do what God wanted to do. In other words, Joseph, you know, Joseph had a plan. Joseph had a, an idea of what his life would be like. Joseph had it laid out. But when, when he found out that Mary, his, 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 his soon-to-be wife, was pregnant and they had not had sex before, right, it kind of threw things in a, in a little spin. And so David, Joseph was like, uh, this, this doesn't add up. One plus one is two, and, and we didn't do one and one, right? And so it doesn't add up for, uh, for Joseph. And so things, what he had planned, what he expected out of life has started to, to veer off, right? And, 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 and Joseph said, instead of getting angry and saying, you know what? The heck with this. I'm leaving. I'm, this has nothing to do with me. Joseph decided to, to, to walk into the plans that God had set up for Joseph. And so he stepped, hit his own God to do what God wanted to do. Because God, he realized that God is more interested in crafting your character than he is about catering to your comfort level. And so when we look at our life and we, we look at what God is doing, we need to understand or we realize that, that God has something bigger, far greater than we could ever imagine for our own in our lives. Now, this week we're going to jump into another character, but I do have a question for you. Um, you know, during this Christmas season, we have, you know, you, we start to get the Christmas cards in the mail. Right? You got loved ones sending you cards, people from your job, and, and all of these people giving you cards. And, and in this season, like more so now than ever before, everybody's sending Christmas cards with pictures of their family, and, and they have a little cute caption or a summary of the year. Everybody know what I'm talking about, right? Um, and so people are sending those out. How many of you send cards out for the holidays? Right? Tell the truth. So you're in church, right? Um, so... so that's why it explains why I didn't get mine, because many of you don't send out cards, right? But we have a, a season where people are, are sending these cards out where they get caught up in trying to figure out what pictures to put on or, or what to say. And so have you ever, if you've ever done that, have you ever summarized, found yourself trying to summarize your year, right, your your, what has happened, what has transpired on the back of this Christmas card or Christmas letter and found yourself not knowing exactly what to write or what to include. You sit there, you're like, hmm, what should I put in here? You try to come up with something creative, try to be fancy with your wording, but it doesn't work. That's not how you speak, right? And you try to figure out, how can I put in the best way possible that my kids, even though they didn't behave, but behave? Like, we try, to, we try to figure out what we want to put down there. Now, we all have these moments. Now, maybe you don't send out Christmas cards, but maybe you do, you do get cornered, uh, by, uh, uh, cornered by people at Christmas parties or a family get-together, and, and people are asking, well, how are things going? How, you know, how was your year? 
And you sit there thinking, like, how do I reply to that? How do I respond to this person who's asking me to summarize a whole season of life in just a couple of short sentences? And you start to reflect and think about what has transpired through this past year. What do you actually put in and what do you leave out, right? What's worthy of including and what ought to be edited, right? So I, if you write like me, you write something, be like, oh, that's not going to work. You, know, you, you scratch it off real good because you're trying to figure out what to include here. But the truth of the matter is that we, we, all, we, we all are trying to figure out what to, to add and what, what story to tell. And, and so I, I ask, ever look at your summary and feel like there's not much worth celebrating? Have a look at this past year and say, you know what, man, I don't, I don't know if there's much to, to write or talk about. Now, whether or not you do it externally, I believe we all summarize our lives internally. We all look inside and say, man, how did this year go? What were my ups? What were my downs? And so I have a question this morning for you. And, and the question is, how selective are you uh, about what goes in your summary? How, how, you know, how do you select what you're actually going to put in the summary? all of the things that have happened to you, uh, all of the things that have happened around you, all of the things that have happened as a result of you, how do you decide which ones you hide in your heart? How do you decide, how do you decide which ones to file and keep close to you? Because whether you realize this or not, when life gets confusing, when life gets disappointing, when life uh, maybe gets even a little bit overwhelming, you open up a part of yourself, right? You open those things that you've kept close to your heart, and it begins to tell you who you are. It begins to tell you who you are. It tells you what to feel. It tells you what to think. It tells you what to do next. But here's, here's the thing. It may not be giving you good advice. It may not be giving you the best advice. In fact, it may be robbing you of the joy that Jesus came to give us. Unfortunately, though, it is the loudest voice you listen to. So as you summarize your life, as you go about these things happen in your life, you begin to tuck away things in your heart, put them away. And when you come up against trials and tribulations and circumstances in life, and it's time to address it, it's time to answer them, it's, trying to, it's time to figure things out, the things that you pull out of that to get advice, to, to figure out what to do next, what you're actually putting, pulling out Maybe things that are not good for you, that will not benefit you, that will not help you in any way. And the reason that happens is, is because that is the loudest voice that you hear. Here's why this is so important. 
Because what you put in your secret summary is what's going to steer your life. What you tuck away in your heart to then at a later point pull out and try to figure out how to use that for the current circumstances that you're in, right, is going to dictate how you maneuver or how things play out in your life. But sadly, most of us don't spend much time or energy scrutinizing what goes in there. We allow uh, this, this, this fallen and corrupt world that we live in to foul whatever it wants inside of us. We allow the world, our society, to dictate what we put in our hearts. And so if society says, man, this is, this is crappy, this won't work, this is no good, you're, you're no good, you're not worth anything, it, it's, all, it's all, you're just a negative bunch, you, you know, it, it's, you're going to go kick rocks, this ain't working for you, you take that in and you put it in your heart and you follow it and the next thing you know, you're bringing that out. When you're about to address something and say, you know, how am I feeling, how do I figure this out? And the card that you pull out says, oh, you're a loser. Oh, remember that time you messed up? Remember that time you were a failure? And some of us, right, are more selective about what we glue in a scrapbook than what we are uh, about, um, than we are about what we hide in our hearts. I love Instagram, right? In Instagram, you, people take pictures, and we live in a side of you. You take these incredible pictures, and they store them, and they, you live them, they, you have them for life. They're memories. But some of us are just taking the wrong pictures. Some of us are just allowing these pictures to be stored. I love uh, my daughters. Uh, one of my daughters says that um, I don't have enough memory on my phone. because She takes pictures, right? Or she, I want her to download an app. And she says, I don't have enough memory on it. And I was like, but you take so many pictures. You take hundreds and hundreds of pictures a day. She goes, yeah, but I delete them. I delete them. Some of us don't delete this. Some of us keep them in there. Some of us keep these summaries of our lives or these moments in our lives, the bad ones, and we keep them inside. And that's a recipe for a joyless life. But what would it look like to be a little more selective? What would it look like to find a joy-focused filter instead of using a sucky one? Instagram has some really sucky filters. I don't even know why they have them on there because nobody really uses them, right? And you go through them and it's like, and it's just a waste of time because I'm like this trying to figure out which one. And I go back this way, right? And I go back this way to see which one because I, I can never remember the names of it. But some of them, I feel like they just don't belong. And the same can be said about our own lives. Some of us just have yucky, crappy filters. And we use those filters instead of using a joy-focused one. So much of the Christmas story is about this very idea. Some of you are like, what does that got to do with Christmas, Pastor? I'm going to share with you this morning. Many of you have heard the story again. And you can find it in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 19. And this is really the story of the birth of Jesus. Uh, but we're going to focus on a particular portion of it where it begins to talk about Mary, right, and how she kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. It says in verse 2, at the time, the Roman Empire, Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. 
all the people returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem, right, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize uh, him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Verse 13, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in, uh, glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth for those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Verse 19, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Now the Greek phrase translated kept in her heart means to hide away to continually protect, to hold on to, to refuse to let go, to remember indefinitely. And the Greek phrase for translated as thought about them often means to revisit over and over again, to repetitively consider, to consistently compare. So Mary took the highlights that made, all, uh, made up this small section of her story and hid them in her heart. She continually protected them. She held on to them. She refused to let them go so that she could revisit them over and over again in her mind, repetitively considering them and consistently comparing them. Now, have you read this story and, you've, and you're like me, you come to the conclusion that, well, Pastor E, the truth of the matter is it's not that difficult to not keep those things in, 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 your, in your heart because those are incredible moments. You know, she had angels and prophecies and miracles. You know, this is, she was giving birth to the Messiah. You know, how could she not put that in her heart and put it away? But here's the thing. Maybe you know this and maybe you don't. Mary lived a heart-knock life. Mary wasn't a princess. Mary didn't live the lifestyle of the rich and famous here. This happy list of highlights isn't her entire story. There is more to Mary, right? Because here, let me just, let's run at the time. And the Caesars were a narcissistic bunch who thought of themselves of gods uh, in, a human, in a human flesh, in human form. Julius Caesar declared himself a god, right? Making him, uh, making his son Augustus a son of God. His armies conquered the majority of the known world. The Senate called him the Prince of Peace. 
his army would march through the, the streets chanting peace through victory, which in actuality meant peace through violence. A common phrase of the day was Caesar is Lord. And if you disagreed with that, they tortured you, they slaughtered your family, they pillaged your home, uh, maybe even crucified your entire village. And if on the flip side you happen to agree with that, you now were embraced or adopted into a peaceful empire that uh, in exchange uh, would you would be paying 70 to 80 percent of tax on everything that you owned right in this time the people were starving they were losing their land they were losing their homes everything they'd spent a lifetime building was being taken from them if you were Jewish, it was even harder for you because you believed that there was only one Lord, our God, and most definitely believe that it was not Caesar. And as you can imagine, that didn't go over too well. It actually put a target on your back wherever you went. And you lived in fear. This is the world that Mary lived in. This is the world, uh, this was how life was for Mary. Not to mention that her pregnancy started to show, right? Uh, though, uh, the, could you imagine this? You are now pregnant and you're starting to show and the world around you is chaos. She was still a virgin, but no one believed her. Her fiancé was thinking about breaking things off. And if he left her, who was going to, uh, going to want her? Right? She was damaged goods. How was she going to take care of this baby? Everywhere she went, people were whispering about her. This is the lady who supposedly got pregnant without having sex. So how... Did Mary, in this situation that she found herself in, how did she manage in the midst of all of this craziness to hide the right things in her heart? Truth be told, most of us would have drowned in discouragement. Most of us would have ran far, far away. But she walked away with joy in her heart. How is this possible? I think the only way to explain that is to first explain this. See, Mary was a committed Jew, which meant she subscribed to a certain worldview, one that still stands today as the foundation of Judaism and Christianity. The easiest way to outline this is that she believed in creation fall, and restoration. Her foundation, the thing that grounded her, the, 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 the belief that kind of gave her this focus was on this creation, fall, and restoration. You see, God created the universe and everything in it, and things were good. The earth was a reflection of him, and he was and is perfect. But God also chose to grant this, uh, his creation the ability to choose him or not. 
And the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, chose sin and self-reliance over surrendering to God's guidance. Thus we have the fall. And this decision shattered perfection. And this self-centered sin and this self-centered sin uh, nature was passed down from our original parents. And the more that sin ran wild, the more it mutated and the more devastation that came about and the more brokenness that this world, uh, more broken this world became. And brokenness is devastatingly painful. Have you ever had pain before? Whether that's physical, spiritual, mental, I have pain in my right knee that is constantly reminding me that something is wrong. Every time I go up the stairs and I go down the stairs, my right knee gets all funky on me. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, if you lose the weight, you wouldn't have that problem, right? Actually, what I have is a chronic arthritis on my right knee from the wear and tear of sports and whatnot. And so it hurts to go up the stairs and down. There's a constant pressure that uh, I have the, uh, the PT guys, the physical therapy guys go a little crazy because they can't pinpoint exactly where the pain is coming from, but it does exist. Pain is telling me that something is wrong. And some of us, maybe you have some physical pain. Maybe you have some spiritual pain. But the, this, the annoying thing about it is that pain has a purpose. Pain has a purpose. It alerts us that something is wrong, that something has gone outside of the boundaries it was created to exist within. So if you are experiencing pain of some sort, Right? If you are experiencing pain of some sort, it is telling, your body is telling you that there is something going on that is uh, happening outside of the boundaries, right, that it was created to exist. God did not create us with this pain. So anything outside of that, anything that pain happens to come from the outside, right, that's why life hurts so bad. Because the world that we live in is actually broken. It's gone outside of the boundaries it was created to exist within. And sometimes we forget that. Right? Sometimes we forget, right? Because things are going great. Things are awesome. Things are incredible. And sometimes we forget that part of it. But never for long, though. Because something always happens. A sudden moment of excruciating pain screaming to us something is wrong so sometimes I'm, I'm good i'm doing i'm worrying about my office i'm i'm, I'm happy going around i'm laughing and, and then i sit down and all is good and then when i try to get up i hear my knee go crack and i'm like ooh, well, that was a reminder that something is wrong that even though the picture that things are going well, things are cool, that the truth of the matter is that something is actually wrong. Something is wrong. When you get stabbed in the back by someone you thought you could trust, something 
is wrong. When addiction steals the life out from under someone you love, something is wrong. When war breaks out and bombs go off, something is wrong. When an embezzlement scandal surfaces, something is wrong. When babies starve and hundreds of kids die daily of parasites from drinking dirty water, something is wrong. When a hurricane hits and annihilates a city or an island, something is wrong. When you turn on the news and you see that there's been a, another shooting and another kid dies or another person dies, something is wrong. And this pain is unbearable. This pain is overwhelming. This pain is indescribable. It's as if the entire universe is screaming, something is wrong. And yet, the Jewish scripture describes a, a God whose heart breaks when humans suffer. A God who is passionate enough about people that he plans to insert himself into history to rescue humanity and restore creation back to the way it was made to function, back to the way God had created and purposed it. Prophecies predicted uh, this would happen, that the one true God will send his only son to be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, in a town called Bethlehem, Micah 5, to someone from the family tree of the ancient King David, Isaiah 11, and that he will be the true prince of peace, Isaiah 9, and he will usher in a different kind of kingdom that doesn't rule by force, but by love that doesn't force people to serve it, but dedicate itself to serve others. And they called this person the Messiah. The Messiah. And so one day, one day in the midst of the broken mess that Mary lives in, that she finds herself doing life in, an angel appears and tells her that she, uh, even though she's a virgin, even though she's a virgin, she's going to give birth to the Messiah. Could you imagine that day? She realizes, right, she, she, she's grown up. She's a Jewish girl. She realizes that prophecy after prophecy are being fulfilled by the events going on around her that are completely out of her control. And that she has the baby and he, that, and, and that she has the baby and he just seems like a normal baby, right? It's not like a, it just, it just, it just went boom, right? It, it grew like a normal baby, except shepherds are now showing up on our door knocking and saying, hey, is the Messiah there? Because we read something about it. We heard something about it. Is the Messiah there, right? Uh, we came to worship the Son of God, the Prince of Peace. And apparently an entire army of angels appeared out of nowhere. Nowhere to do exactly the same thing. And up in his throne somewhere, Augustus is sitting down. He's, he's hearing this. He's not going to let this thing go unnoticed. Yet, despite everything else going on in her world, because Mary knows what's coming. She knows what's inside of her. She knows that the wrath 
of Caesar is coming for her, yet despite everything else going on in her world, she chooses to hide in her heart the things which bring and point to redemption. We have creation, we have the fall, and we have the redemption. Brokenness, sinfulness, selfishness. These were the things that were going on everywhere, yet she did not need a, an internal reminder of that. She was living right in the middle of it all. Yes, chaos was going on around her. The thing that brought her hope, peace, and joy was this redemption. That redemption was on its way and that she was a part of the story. That God had chosen her to be a part of this redemption story. Any moment or a memory of that pointed to that and she hid it in her heart because she believed that in the end joy was coming. The Bible uses this phrase about Mary twice that she kept uh, these things in her heart and that she thought about them often but I believe things like this must have happened more than just twice. I think it was a habit of hers. I think it's something that she practiced. It was the way she lived her life. As Jesus grew older and began his ministry and, and taught and did miracles and served others and was generous and selfless, I think she filed that away. Right? We take them or doing something very silly. We, ta we take our phones out and we want a snapshot because we want to keep memory of those things that took place. We want to take that picture and put it in my heart. I have incredible stories of my little ones growing up that I've just filed in my heart, right? Because that's what we do. We want to keep those incredible moments of our lives and, and tuck them away in our hearts and keep them forever so that, so that we can be constantly reflect on them, right? We share the funny stories that my kids don't like to hear now that they're almost adults, right? Dad, why do you got to share that story, right? They're probably sitting right here. Do you think he's going to talk about you? He's going to talk about me. My two oldest daughters are here this morning, and um, they don't like those days when I talk about them. But Mary knew, she knew to do this because of how she grew up. She, again, was a Jewish girl, and she grew up with the teachings and the understandings. Proverbs 23, 7 says, there are always thinking, they are always thinking about how much it costs. Eat and drink, they say, but they don't mean it. Right? These are thoughts that determine the outcomes, the cost of things, right? Proverbs 4.23 talks about guarding your heart, thinking about your life. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. In other words, you cannot let the world penetrate this. You cannot let the world harden your heart, because if you do, you will begin to act like the rest of the world. The New Testament writers grabbed a hold of her example and these ancient teachings and summarized them this way. In Philippians 4.8, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, that is us, one final thing. Fix your thoughts, right, on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. 
Think about the good things in your life. Put them in your heart. And then when it's time to to act and react to the things that you're being presented before you, then pull them out and begin to to figure out resolutions and answers to this, right? To, To the situations you find yourself. And so Mary did just that. In fact, it may be the thing about her that I admire the most. Because if I'm honest this morning, I've had a hard time being selective about what goes in my summary. Right? I don't always have or use the best filter. I don't always guard my heart. I get offended when I hear people say things or, or, or when people talk about me or, or when people feel like, oh, they don't like me. That offends me, right? I can tend to let the, let the rest of the world put whatever the world wants inside of my heart. It, it's a joy killer, to be honest with you. I can't continue to really live my life in this way. I can't let the world dictate what I hide in my heart and steal the joy that Jesus came to bring me. And so I want to wrap up this morning and allow a little transparency here. All the ways I have failed. I can tend to hide all the ways I have failed people in my life. I can tend to hide away all the times that people have failed me. I can put my pain and, and, and my disappointments in there as well. I can put the tragedies that I've witnessed in there as well. When I look back at my life and say, man, I was an orphan by the age of 27. Everyone that I knew my mom, my dad, my brother had passed. I can let the way people talk about me crush me and store it away. I can put the pounds that I cannot lose in there as well. I can put the addictions I can't shake. And what I'm afraid of is is that all that all of the ways that I have fallen short as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, and as a pastor, that I take those moments and I tuck them in my heart and I allow that to harden my heart. And I allow that that when the circumstances come out and and it's time to to figure things out, I open up the file and and all I see are the negativity stuff, the things that have hurt me, the things that have caused me pain. And all I can say, man, something is wrong. And because of this, at times when I look at my life, find the, the yucky stuff instead of the joy. Sometimes I'd rather frown than than smile. 
I wonder. I wonder if you and I might not be that different. I wonder if you tend to focus on things that kill your joy. I wonder if it might be time to to get the white out and edit your summary and stack it with stuff that reflects redemption. The fact that your father, creator of heaven and earth, loved you so much and said, I'm going to send you the best gift that I got. A gift that will bring you hope and joy through redemption and salvation. I wonder what might happen if, if like Mary, it wasn't just a Christmas thing, a seasonal thing, but instead it was an everyday thing. That we, every single one of us, would not focus on the things that we've messed up on. In fact, our, to- our slogan here at South Hills is that we are the, the perfect place for imperfect people. Because not one of us in this room is perfect. We all have our issues. We all have our setbacks. I am no more perfect than you are. But I wonder if we would focus on the, the, the good things that have happened, the good things that we have done, the positive things that have been said about us, the moments we've made people smile and laugh, the moments people have made us smile and laugh, the moments we helped uh, build someone up instead of tearing them down, the moments where we were recognized for the job that we did at work, the moments where we, 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 we hugged our kids and, and greeted our kids and, and put a smile in our, our kids' faces, the moments where we, we loved on our parents and just said, hey, mom, hey, dad, love you. If we would just focus on those things in our lives, what if we saw life from that perspective? We chose to follow those great moments. And despite what the world may say, I have been redeemed. I have been redeemed. Church, this Christmas story Don't let your joy be taken from you. Don't be fixated on the things that you do not have. But instead, give thanks. Reflect on those highlight moments, your family and friends. And fall back. Remember the roots of your belief system. That God created this world and that somehow along the path it got murky, it got dirty and it is what it is today. But because he sent us his son in the flesh to bring us hope and joy smile today because we have been redeemed.
our Redeemer lives. Our Messiah, our Emmanuel is with us. Amen.